0: I am four, my goodness gracious.
2: With Mr. Ken Moffitt. And for anybody watching this on Rumble and Bitchute, you are getting it today. For anybody on YouTube, you're getting it a week from today, Sunday, February 28th, because I have been suspended from uploading for seven days for discussing election fraud because it is hate speech, which I was not aware of. But I learned something new. Discussing election fraud is hate speech. So, but enough of that. Let's jump into it, Mr. Moffat.
0: Well, here we are, the uh, the tenth and final plague, um, death of the firstborn. Uh, but for a real quick recap of um, to bring the, the viewers up to speed, I just want to – Tommy, you still there? Yeah. Okay, I lost the uh, uh, video.
2: You can't see me? Nope. Um,
0: But I'll keep talking while you're working on
2: it Keep talking, I'm going to try to switch networks
0: Um, To bring the viewers up to speed How did we get to the point where God had to uh, Come down on the Egyptian gods Uh, He he challenged them And uh, as he says in Exodus 12 chapter 12 verse 12 that he was going to execute judgment against the very Egyptian gods that they held so highly and that they worshiped and so on Um, but back in Exodus chapter 7 verse 5 uh, verse 1 through 5 he told Moses that he would bring the Israelites out of Egypt he would do it by great judgments and he would do it in a way that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord the true God and by doing this against the very Egyptian gods, and remember, there's anywhere between eighty and one hundred primary gods, and up to fifteen hundred total in the pantheon of the Egyptian ancient Egyptian gods, that he would uh, destroy them, and he would show the Egyptians and the Israelites. But consequently, as a result of this, the rest of the world would know that that god yahweh the hebrew god is the true god because as we're going to see in know about 15 however long minutes this did not happen in a vacuum Mm -hmm. so what we have now is the stage is set that um pharaoh has rejected everything that god has thrown at him even though the priests and the magicians and even some of his court officials recognize that god of the hebrews is not to be trifled with and they actually tell pharaoh you have ruined egypt let these people go and he is just so arrogant that he says no which brings us to the 10th plague and it's where moses is called before Pharaoh, and Moses tells him, and I'm going to read from this, it's in Exodus chapter 11, verses four through six. Quote, Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go into the midst of egypt and all of the firstborn in the land of egypt shall die from the first of pharaoh who sits on the throne even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the hand mill and all of the firstborn of the animals then there shall be a great cry throughout all of the land of egypt such as not like ever seen before nor shall be ever seen again one of the interesting things about this is if you go down to the next verse in chapter I'm sorry verse 7 of chapter 11 that term Moses uses he comes up and he says but not even a dog will threaten any of the sons of Israel now scholars believe that what Moses was referring to there as the dog was actually the god of the Egyptians Anubis mm-hmm. And if you remember when we talked about the various gods, they were anthropomorphic. They had male or, or um, human bodies with heads and features of various animals that the Egyptians had adopted to be their gods. Some were frogs, some were uh, birds. Uh, Horus, for instance, had a uh, one of their the highest of their gods had a male uh, body with the head of a, a uh, falcon. So this was Anubis. He was the mortuary God, the funerary God. And Moses says, even Anubis, even their false God, don't even be worried about stuff like this. So here we have the Egyptians left with what? The firstborn of everything is going to die except for what? The Israelites. This is a very selective, uh, again, God is segregating his people from the israelites and why the firstborn well several reasons because god considered israel his own firstborn among nations and warned of this retribution on egypt back in exodus chapter four uh verse 22 23 he warned egypt that this is what's going to happen i will bring my people out and so on now we also have to take into consideration that in this time and culture, the firstborn received a greater share of the father's inheritance. So the firstborn generally became the country's ruling really elite, the military generals, other military officers, the chief administrators, and usually the pharaoh themselves. So in other words, out of the firstborn, you get the CEOs that run these countries. And it wasn't unique to um Egypt that that's just the way it was in the ancient world you know up even to the 20th century 21st century a lot of um, tr- more traditional families the son um especially still in the middle east the firstborn son is given the lion's share of the inheritance and that's so that's where we find ourselves uh it still happened uh even in the united states the oldest son would get uh you know naming rights and 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 things like this uh when the father passed away if obviously the firstborn son was in good standing with the family
2: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> is so with anubis because I, I that's one of the few i do recognize yeah the dog-headed god and it's the right. the god of the i don't think it's the god of the underworld i think it's the god it's it like guides souls to the underworld
0: yeah, well, remember that they these um, a lot of these gods uh, crossed over and did multiple duties. Yeah, yeah. And it, I was just I was kind of keeping it keeping it general. Yeah, as the the funerary god, the mortuary god, but Anubis, you know, he had three or four functions. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like,
2: the importance of the importance of not even a dog. So let's say that it is referring to Anubis. Does that imply that? Um, anubis is super powerful so not even him or is it or is it kind of like a backhanded insult like not even you know not even anubis you know yeah i think that
0: that's what okay. um i think that's what Mo- moses is getting at okay. um that you know, not even your funerary dog the the dog that is in uh, the god i should say actually that is in charge of as you said guiding these souls to the underworld so he's he's Nothing. Nothing to us. Um, the firstborn of the Egypt of the Israelites, because they did what God said, they they slaughtered the lamb. They put the lamb's blood. Actually, the scripture says it could be a lamb or a goat. And they put the lamb or goat's blood over the lentil and the door frames, and God would pass over them. A- interesting point about this, Tommy. You know, we hear about um, Scripture talking about the angel of death and so on. Nowhere in Scripture is that phrase ever used, okay. the angel of death. That, that's a concept that, that human beings came up with to perhaps describe, um, you know, death is approaching. Well, the angel of death is at your doorstep. No such thing okay okay all right continue okay so here we have again Moses with his second cousin Amenhotep II. now what's interesting about this is because scripture says that it'll be the firstborn that dies from the throne of Pharaoh and everyone else now We know for a fact, Egyptologists that study this um, have determined that Amenhotep, who was the Pharaoh at the time, was not the firstborn. He was actually the secondborn of Thutmose III. And if you remember Thutmose III, his father was probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest Pharaoh. He expanded the borders, was a brilliant military leader and so on. But his firstborn son dies. Now, how do we know this? We know this because there is no reference to his firstborn son ever becoming Pharaoh. His second son, which would be Amenhotep II, becomes Pharaoh. And what's interesting, even more interesting about this, is that Amenhotep's firstborn son dies exactly as scripture, uh, as God said was going to happen. How do we know this? Because once again, the Egyptians kept um, pretty accurate records on on the Pharaohs and their sons and daughters and so on. And when they went back and they uh, traced the lineage, they could only see the birth of these two two sons. But neither one of these sons are mentioned past uh, teenage years, or even if it was that long, they did not survive to become Pharaoh. The son that follows Amenhotep II is uh, actually Thutmose IV. He was the second-born son of Amenhotep II. He became Pharaoh. So scripture here is accurate. And it was written thousands of years before archaeologists ever figured this out. But they have come to realize now that this is, in fact, an accurate statement. And if you want to call it a prophecy, okay, the prophecy was indeed fulfilled.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So what we've got now is, again... Uh, god has, uh, Yahweh has bested everything that Egypt could possibly muster, could possibly throw at him. And all of the gods are silent. Um, the god Sirket, the goddess of protection, powerless. Meskhet, the goddess who will preside at the birth of children, failed to save the, save the firstborn. The god Sobek, protection of fertility who uh, epitomized the might of the pharaoh he couldn't protect anyone or anything now this is another interesting one uh Nekeb, nekheb an e-k-h-e-b this is a, a god who appeared as a vulture on the the crown if you look at the crown of, of uh, pharaohs closely you're going to see mm-hmm. a cobra uraeus and then nekheb uh, who's a god who appears as a vulture. And she, a female god, um, is was the special protector of the pharaoh. And even this god could not protect pharaoh's son, who was in line to become the next pharaoh. And as we beat up pretty good on old Osiris last week, she takes another hit um, because she is the giver and ruler of life. So are down to all of the gods. They're they're pretty much beat up, bruised, battered, and sent to the ash heap of history. history. And God is about ready. Uh, eventually, um, he's going to tell Pharaoh, "This is it, pal. Let him go. You've you got nothing left." Coming in with and, the right hook. Yeah, yeah. And, and Pharaoh, um, once he sees his son is dead, and um, I think that he comes to the, the realization that. Uh, there's nothing I can do here. Uh, we are indeed ruined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with this plague, the Egyptian Pharaoh finally relents and he lets the Israelites go.
2: I'm just trying to think. So do you think this, this, this Old Testament God, do you think it would if Pharaoh, let's say he had a change of mind and at some point it was just like, I'll let him go? Do you think the Old Testament God would indeed stop the the, the plagues, or do you think it would be? Um, do you think he would? Because the Old Testament God kind of seems a little more like a general Patton and less like a uh, less like a, a peace a peace corps leader. I feel like he would just would have would have kept going, or would if he have stopped, or would he have stopped?
0: Well, let's just say that it had been a different pharaoh who was not so obstinate and arrogant, and and I'll show this God that I don't even know who it is. Why should I listen to them? Mm -hmm. But after the first two or three plagues, um, do I think that um, Yahweh, uh, God of the Hebrews, would have stopped the plagues or not visited any more plagues? My own personal opinion opinion is the answer is yes, because when you go back and look at the history from Abraham on, um, he was very firm with Abraham when Abraham did things that he shouldn't have done.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: Jacob, uh, the term named Jacob actually means to usurp or some people think it means heel grabber because of the way that he actually became the firstborn um, and how he wound up with the birthright. So the father of all these Hebrews has a bit of a shady, uh, shady past, but God still worked with him and through him to bring all of this about. Now, you got to remember something too, that all of this, was preordained before the foundation of the world. Uh, scripture is clear on that. And if you're a believer in, in both the Old and New Testament, then you have to believe that God preordained all this. He knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. It would be it would be like saying, well, if uh, Judas had decided that uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, to kiss, let's say, Mark instead of Jesus, um, would God have spared Jesus? The answer to that definitely is no, because all of this was preordained, Jesus' crucifixion. There had to be a a blameless, spotless lamb of God to take our sins, and that fell upon Jesus, his son. So that was all preordained. This was all preordained. God knew that this Pharaoh, Amenhotep II, as arrogant as he was, would not give up mm-hmm. and that's just the nature of this pharaoh mm-hmm. as it was the nature of judas um judas was remorseful after went out and hung himself threw the money back at the temple says i don't want his it. blood money but the point being is that god knew what judas would do and god knew what amenhotep would do
2: did did judas didn't go to to heaven though correct he didn't in because I know in Dante's Inferno, in Dante's Inferno, it's Judas is at the centermost circle of hell. He's in he's in Satan's mouth. Um, or is it the remorse of throwing the money back? Is it like because I, I? Yeah, I mean, I went to this private Catholic school for twelve years, and I'll be honest, I completely yeah. I completely forgot about that. I was like, oh wait, no, he did kind of show remorse. So is that um. is that the same as asking for forgiveness? or did it, did he not read the fine print per se?
0: <laughs> well, that's that, that question is actually above my pay grade okay. and I, I'm thankful that it will not be me. And there's others out there that better be thankful that it will not be me. That's making that determination. Okay. Um, cause there'd be a lot of people in Washington. There'd be no help, no yeah. hope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. as well, as well as Springfield. Yeah. Um, our state capital. Um, you know, Judas did show remorse, but it was, was it the Greek word that is used, I know this is getting a little bit off topic, but it's kind of related to what the Pharaoh is going through. The Greek word used here would be to repent. And that word repent means to essentially to stop what you're doing and change direction, change yeah. your life. Did Judas have the opportunity afterwards to truly change his life? And the answer is Yes. Because if you look at what Peter did, and we're gonna get into this, when we look at the trial of Jesus here, somewhere down the road, the three times Peter Mm -hmm. witnessed Jesus uh, being, Peter betrayed Jesus. Jesus. I don't know this man. You know, the interesting thing about that too, is is the Greek word that is used here. um, It means to Peter actually cursed Jesus, such as, I don't know who that you-know-what is. Yeah. I have nothing to do with him. Yeah. Quit trying to link me yeah. to him. F that guy. Peter. I don't know him. Yep. Peter went to those links. But what did Peter do afterwards? He went out and wept bitterly because he realized what he had done. Peter showed, Peter showed true remorse, true repentance, um, true constriction, and he became you know, one of the two greatest apostles after Paul and uh, so on. Mm-hmm that's true repentance as opposed to well i'm sorry for what i did i think i'll go out and hang myself because i'm ashamed
2: yeah it, and then on another and then we'll get back to it so i was going to say the uh, yeah you're like the father of all the hebrews you're like kind of has this uh, shady background and uh it kind of makes you think of like uh the patriarch of the kennedys <laughs> it's like you know you know spawned you know some arguably good politicians but it's like ah, he may have been involved in some boot uh Uh, And some uh, moonshine operations, some bootlegging. Eh, You know, just kind of fuzz the numbers, fudge the numbers,
0: and a support of the Nazis. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's like, yeah. But then you get JFK, who was arguably, you know, wanted to end the wars, and it's like, I don't know. Maybe you can't let perfect be. What is it? Perfect prevent progress, or perfect be the enemy of the good
0: well and i think that's one of the things that we learn from this and we're going to learn from this as we get into a little bit deeper is that god doesn't require perfection Mm -hmm. he he only requires that you try your best and try uh, yeah and that you diligently um do what you can to please him to serve him and um obviously moses even moses um, was not allowed to enter into the land of promise because he disobeyed God when the Hebrews were crying out for water. What did Moses do? He struck the rock and instead of following God's instructions and speaking to the rock in order for it to bring forth water. And God said, okay, Moses, you're a great guy, but because you disobeyed me, you're not going into the land of promise. So he gets to see it, but he doesn't get to go into it. And he dies at 120 years old. He's buried on Mount um, Nebo, and nobody knows where. Um, it's somewhere in Jordan, as it overlooks, into uh, the Promised Land. But but um, so God is, you know, a God of compassion, but he's also a God of justice.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow. You can see it, but you can't come in. You can look at well, it can't have it
0: and that's uh, i think the lesson for us is is to um obey obey and um you know when we do stumble we do fall we do things that we shouldn't do god allows for repentance you don't have to continue on in the um lifestyle that you have chosen when you know clearly it's wrong and you're bringing it back to pharaoh how many times do you have to see your nation being destroyed um month by month by month by month and you still are so arrogant and what we do today some people are just in that same boat they know they're living in a lifestyle that is wrong but they just refuse to change they refuse to repent they refuse to correct their steps
2: now does does moses still get to go to heaven he's just not allowed to see the promised land
0: well there's every indication that he, he's in heaven because of the um uh, transfiguration up at um north in north of the galilee when jesus uh and some of the disciples are up there um, and they go to the mount uh, or the transfiguration i'm sorry where jesus's robes become white and he's just gleaming and he is speaking to moses and elijah And most scholars believe that what he's talking about is his trip to Jerusalem to where he, the final um, trial and eventual crucifixion. So we, yes, Moses um, did get to go to heaven. Okay. All right. So there's a happy ending. There's the happy ending for Moses. Yes. Okay.
2: Okay. Let's get back to it.
0: Okay. Okay. So with this final, uh, final. Blow, if you will, uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh Amenhotep II. I know I keep repeating that because I want people that I want that to sink into people. It's not Ramses or Yule Brenner, it's Amenhotep II. Um and he's this is forcing Pharaoh to act against his will, and it would once again demonstrate God's overthrow of his sovereignty, Pharaoh and the gods who representative. The Another one of the gods was Hu, H-U, who's the god that uh, who personified the royal authority. And then you have the god uh, goddess Wajet, who uh, symbolized royal authority. And then we come to our old friend Ma'at. Now Ma'at, remember, is the goddess of cosmic order under whose aegis the rulers of Egypt governed. And it was imperative that the um, pharaohs kept that cosmic order going. And when you had the um, deconstruction of what God did to the entire Egyptian society, it just proved once again that this ma'at was just a figment of the imagination of the Egyptians, that uh, the Hebrew God Yahweh was supreme and he is once again bested every single god um and goddess that the egyptians had um even down to the war goddess uh seth mehet who was supposedly able to breathe fire on the pharaoh's enemies okay. um th- think about this for a minute tommy um all of these events these plagues and I think that this is one of the things that's, that's really kind of uh, missed in this uh, missed in this whole event. Uh, all of these plagues and so on—they didn't happen in a world vacuum. At this juncture, Egypt uh, is the most powerful nation in the world. It's the only superpower in the world. Let's go back to Amenhotep's second's father tutmos the third he was the greatest military commander um he is the one that uh, he's uh, moses's uh, cousin remember his uh, stepmother had ships as the one that drew moses out of the river and um, Tuttmos III was being raised. They ruled as a co regent, but she shipped him off to the west point of, the, of ancient Egypt and was grooming Moses to become Pharaoh. Well, Tuttmos III becomes Pharaoh after Moses kills the Egyptian, flees to Midian, and he uh, stays there for 40 years. So here we have Tuttmos III. He expands Egypt's borders. So, what Amenhotep, his son, inherits is the biggest empire in the world at the time but his arrogance is what's going to be his undoing as we see with so many world leaders um but what's fascinating about this is that moses goes off to Midian for 40 years he gets married he has two sons he becomes well i'm sure he's probably pretty happy in his life but there's always that that what if in the back of his mind what if things hadn't happened what if i didn't do that to the to the um egyptian i wouldn't out here be her tending sheep i'd be pharaoh of egypt but that wasn't part of god's plan so moses goes back and he's on his way back but what does the rest of the world hear about this okay egypt had wheat they had barley they had spelt they had flax they had fish flax was used to make clothing and linens and so on and so forth so egypt was like the big warehouse of the world at the time so all of these caravans would march down to egypt fill up their uh, camels they'd head back and boy everybody let's go to egypt and get get what we need and remember when the plagues hit canaan um, that's where a lot of these guys went to. And that's how the the Hebrews wound up down there um, with uh, Joseph and his 12 brothers and so on and so forth. That's how they all wound up down there. So so Egypt is Walmart. Egypt is Walmart. Uh, Walmart. One stop shopping. You're 100% correct. Okay. And, and just like Walmart, you don't get good service. Well, you're not getting good service here in Egypt. But, so, it's,
2: but it's they offer the only service. So you got to go.
0: <laughs> there you go I, I, we're the only game in town So it's what are the you only do? game in
2: town it's Egypt, it's low prices always and you're just like, alright, <laughs> screw it, I'll go <laughs> yeah, really, <laughs> really to
0: do. that's right that's, that's right <laughs> so, but now due to all of this these traders are going down there and they're, they're looking around thinking what in the world happened there's no more grain there's no more fish there's no more any of these products that we used to get so they start heading back and these caravans remember would take months to get from point a to point b to point c and so on but along the way they're taking the news of the day and what is the news of the day do you guys remember egypt all of the wonderful things that we used to bring out of egypt it's completely destroyed uh there was this invisible god you got to remember that these people from the caravans were polytheistic too there's this invisible god that uh, amenhotep the pharaoh down there went up against and he got his hat handed to him he got his clock cleaned there is nothing left so they go back and every place they go um the cities and so on and so forth and the villages and the other countries that they go back to they're telling them what happened in egypt Egypt is desolate Egypt is destitute um and as a result of this other kingdoms are starting to take notice really so the most powerful kingdom in the world is no longer the most powerful kingdom in the world because there was no 24/7 cable and so on do you recall uh, and I'm hoping that most of your viewers uh, or most of the listeners and, and viewers um, remember the story of, of after Moses crosses the Reed Sea, and we'll get into this uh, next week, the children of Israel spent 40 years wandering mm-hmm. in the desert. Why did they wander in the desert? Disbelief. Moses sent in the spies, the spies came back and 10 of them said, we can't take this land. The only two spies that said, yes, we can with God's help, Joshua and Caleb. Okay, so here you got Joshua who was actually the second in command under Moses and Moses goes up on Mount Nebo. He looks out into the land of promise. He dies, he's buried. Joshua then takes um, the children of Israel, those that God allowed to live, uh the, the generation that was not the, the disbelievers they cross over and they are now in what is jordan and they're getting ready to cross the jordan river to go into canaan well this is another story where joshua sends in the two spies the two spies um go to the house of a prostitute named rahab and this is where the story unfolds and this is this is um I'm bringing it to the point of uh, of the world knowing what's going on here. So I'm gonna pick up the story in Joshua, chapter two, verses eight through 10. Joshua sends in these spies. Jericho is the most um, prominent city. It is the strongest city in uh, that region of Canaan. And beginning in uh, Joshua, chapter two, verses eight through 10, we read, before the spies lay down for the night, she, Rahab, went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. This is this is the important verse. Verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Reed Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When we... Who's the way she's talking about? The people of Jericho, the most powerful city in the region. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now Jericho as part of Canaan um, was polytheistic. They worshiped many, many gods, Baal and um, Ashtoreh and just a whole host of gods. But here you see the, this slowly this as um, they were looked upon and even in today's world, um, this is a prostitute. This is how low can you get? Mm-hmm. She recognized that these two spies were special, that they came from the hebrews and that the hebrews were somebody to be feared um and what another point that's very interesting about this is that guess up guess who shows up in the lineage of jesus who ran the prostitute
2: oh really i don't know
0: that yeah. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. And that's one of the fascinating things about God and Jesus, his lineage. When you read through his lineage, there's some pretty unsavory characters in there.
2: Well, you see it reflected in the crucifixion as well with the two thieves on either side. Correct, yeah. Kind of just always mixing. And
0: and one of them says, you know, that I I believe that you are, uh, you're innocent of these crimes and Jesus Uh, confirms that and today you'll be with me in paradise the other guy scoffs you know yeah right okay fine you're getting what you deserve i don't know what you did but you're getting what you deserve and the other guy says he didn't do anything wrong and jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise which which tells me that the guy had the uh the attitude that he saw what was going on here is wrong and when you look at um Rahab is being part of the lineage of Jesus that that shows that God will take the the lowest of the low and use them and build them into people of character. Mm -hmm. And to have his own son, grandmother, however far far down the line she goes, uh, is a prostitute, but she is saved when Joshua goes in, they destroy Jericho, she is saved, I think it's her and her family actually. They then become um, proselytes or eventually converts to Judaism or Hebrewism at that time. Mm-hmm. So that very fascinating story. And I think that it's when you look at the totality of, you talked about um, bad people doing things, but that are allowed to repent and changed the way of life. This is exactly what God is showing us here, that yes, she was a prostitute. Yes, it was a despicable um, uh, vocation. But she came to realize that I don't have to do this for the rest of my life. And she eventually married into the one of the tribes. I don't know which one. Scripture doesn't say. Well, I do. It would have to be the tribe of Judah because that's where Jesus came from. And God has said, I forgive you. You are now one of my children, one of my people, okay. and you are going to be. Another interesting part about this, when we talk about that there was no uh, 24-7 cable. So how did these people find out what happened? Well, over back in Exodus, um, Moses has now led the children of Israel out of the Reed Sea, they're no longer in Egypt. And we'll get to that part next week about the crossing and how they did it and where they went and all that. But I wanna point out that this events did not happen in a vacuum, that the world knew about what was going on here. Um, Over in Exodus chapter 18, um, verse one, is a story where Moses eventually is going to connect with his father-in-law Jethro, who is Zipporah, his wife, um, when, Je- when Moses left uh, Egypt, went to Midian, he fell in with uh, the clan of Jethro. And in um, chapter 18, verse 1, we know that Moses has yet to meet up with him. They have yet to connect again. So chapter 18, verse 1 says, Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, the father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for the people of Israel and how the Lord has brought Israel out of Egypt. And verse 7 says, So now Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. So Moses hadn't heard about, I'm sorry, Jethro has not heard about Um, this from Moses because they hadn't met up yet Uh, and Moses bowed down and kissed him kissed his father-in-law they greeted each other and they went into the tent Moses told his father-in-law everything that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all about the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them and in verse 18 I think sums it up pretty well Um, verse 11 chapter 18 says now now i the lord i know now i'm sorry jethro his father-in-law says now i know that the lord is greater than all the gods for he did this to those who had treated israel arrogantly so it comes full circle back to pharaoh you arrogant um hubris good for nothing and the word got out that um, this, is, this is why it happened. So the Prince of Midian, Jethro, and you gotta remember this is not some, some vagabond wandering around the desert aimlessly. This is a Prince of Midian. This is a man of means. This is a wealthy man who has a lot of servants and a lot of people that pay attention to him in all likelihood heard this um, from a caravan And then he heard it from his daughter, and then he got it from Moses himself. So the word went out that Egypt had been essentially destroyed. Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: So, yeah, okay. I'm following.
0: Okay. So here's one of the other interesting things. Scripture scripture kind of stops at this point. But one of the other interesting things that we have from archaeology and Egyptology is that now you've got Amenhotep II. Him and his guys are scratching their heads. The the, the Hebrews have made it through the the Reed Sea. The army's been destroyed, and we'll get to that later, but bringing it back to um, archaeologists and Egyptologists have determined that tips like scratching his head. Who's gonna build these monuments? Who's gonna build this? Who's gonna build my store cities? Who, where's my slaves? So what he does, he does he does something that's got two purposes here. Number one is to show the rest of the world because they think I'm a loser. And he, he does a raid into Southern Canaan. Now, you stop and think about this. His father, uh, Tutmos top- III, left him, the greatest military in the world and tumulus III used to go up to the euphrates river and routinely would wipe out other kingdoms as far as the euphrates river hundreds of miles but here amenhotep II, he conducts a raid into southern canaan not that far actually from um the goshen region of egypt it's not that far at all um as a matter of fact in today's world it's just a couple hours drive um so he takes his army and he goes up there and he captures all of these slaves. Many of them are from the Habaru, which once again, some scholars think that these are some of the, some of the, uh, some of the Hebrews may have kind of broke off from Moses. And cause we're headed to the promised land, the shortest way is this way. So they went up there, they settled and so on. And so he captures a bunch of slaves takes them back to Egypt not only the slaves, but he also captures and takes gold, silver, other precious items because his treasury was just depleted. When the children of Israel left, um, they were given gold and silver to get out of here because the scripture says that the people look favorably upon them, Uh, whether God changed the heart of the people and the people were just glad to get them out of there, go because you're destroying the place either way, The gold and silver were gone. The treasury is gone. So what he had to do is refill that treasury. How did he do it? I'm going to do a raid in Canaan. Yeah, they do a plunder. Yep. He, he, He did not have the means, the resources to go into... Um, middle or upper uh, Canaan, or even up to what would today would be uh, Syria or Lebanon, uh, like his dad did up to the Euphrates River, and just bring back massive quantities of gold and precious items, as well as slaves. Mm-hmm. So this, this verifies, again, exactly what Scripture says, that Pharaoh lost his... Um, he didn't lose his entire army because his entire army was not garrisoned up in Goshen. He would have had po- a portion of his army there. He also had uh, to deal with his flanks, uh, the Sudan or Kush, as it was known of back then. So he's got armies spread out all over the place. They're not just just like our army is not just in the Middle East. They're down in Africa and, yeah. and so on and so forth.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah, 700 plus yeah bases around the world. Got to play that, got to play that world police role, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, what's it got us? But, um, so that's that's was the 10th plague. Um, it cost Pharaoh dearly when he lost his first son. Um, and then eventually, as we'll see next week or the following week, um, it's going to cost him his uh, his army and 600 of his best chariots, uh, a lot of his infantry, and and if I can, um, and I know you uh, probably can't see me, I can't see you, but you, you still can't see me.
2: No, oh, I've, I can. I've seen you this whole time. I thought it would have re- nope. re- reconnected by now.
0: Nope, nope, but that's okay as long as uh, well. You played you it off gave- well. I didn't know you. Hey. you- <laughs> You plan it prob- a while. yeah. A little probably now. Yeah. Um, what one of the, the most interesting parts for me uh, when I taught this class is now that we have got to the point where the is Israelites, the Hebrews, are um, getting ready. I know it kind of got them all ready into the pro- up up to the Promised Land, or at least into the uh, Sinai Desert. Um, This is the part that I think that everybody who is a true Bible student put on your Sherlock Holmes hat because we're going to take the actual route that the Bible says that they took. We're not going to be traipsing off down the southern um, 200 miles south um, up into the crags of the granite cliffs and so on and so forth um, looking for a place that the Bible tells us exactly where it is. And and this is one of the problems that um, I have and some professional archeologists and some professional Egyptologists have when these guys, they write these books and they come up with these documentaries and all this stuff. And a lot of it is not based on what the biblical itinerary is it's called they went from point a to point b to point c they crossed the reed sea they are now on the eastern side of egypt why would you go 200 miles south so you can turn around and come 200 miles north That makes absolutely no sense, especially when you are taking um, maybe a million and a half people with you. You've got the elderly, you've got the young, you've got sick, you've got women, you've got all of your flocks and your camels, you've got all of this stuff. You got to use logic here, people. And what we're going to do is we're going to go point by point by point and show you what through my research as well as all of the other professional archeologists that have done the research on this believe is the actual itinerary, the route that they took to get into um, the various areas that the Bible says they have. And and I think it's, it's really, really interesting because it just shows if you don't have an agenda and you just follow the roadmap, you wind up at the right place.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about how, um, right, some of that was, was partially uncovered by uh, CIA spy planes. Mm-hmm. You know, an accidental indirect effect of uh, overflight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, during the Israeli Six-Day War, um, um, our CIA was helping the good guys, the Israelis. Once again, they're fighting the Egyptians. But, Fortunately, that's all over that we're with. Um, and the spy planes, the satellites, the spy planes would uh, take posi- uh, photographs of positions of the uh, Egyptian army, these high-resolute uh, photographs from the spy planes as well as satellites. And what they uncovered were these ancient lake beds. And at first they just kind of blew them off. But then some of the researchers that went back and they looked at these and they said, wait a minute, look at these ancient lake beds. And these ancient lake beds, they are linked by canals. So if you um, like the Erie Canal, I don't recall which two lakes, the uh, Great Lakes it, it connects. But here you have th- these three large lakes and they're connected by canals. Why were the canals there? Well, the canals were dug by the ancient Egyptians, number one, so they could transport um, items from these lakes without having to go over land. You just get on a barge and you take them up. Also, it also provided a, uh, a defensive mechanisms because instead of the an enemy who may want to invade you crossing on dry land, now you've got to get uh, through this canal, you got to be able to ford this canal, and so the Egyptians did that. Um, and then when they saw these lake beds, they started looking at deeper research, and they went back and looked at some um, journals and so on from as far back as Napoleon, Herodotus, and so on writes about these things. Um, and they said, "Okay, fine." And this is where the Septuagint comes in, and, mm-hmm. and I think we discussed this briefly last week. Um, And I don't want to give too much away. But anyway, the the, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. One of the pharaohs from the Alexander the Great Era, Ptolemy, Philadelphus, um, he wanted to have the Hebrew translated into Greek. Yeah. So we got 70 72 scholars actually but the the Greek they call it the 70 um, and so if you ever see it written it's just written in in uh, Roman numerals um, 70 what is 70 uh, um I think it is.
2: Yeah, because yeah, L yeah I right?
0: Right. L-X-I-I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And that stands for the Septuagint. Instead of writing out the Septuagint, well, they they uh, mistranslated. Um, Reed Red Sea, it should have been Reed R E E D because it was fresh water, because reeds don't grow in salt water. Uh, maybe brackish, but this would have been fresh water, freshwater lakes, and this is where they believe that in the northern part of Egypt, on the eastern, on the far eastern shore of Egypt or the far eastern border you find what was called Lake Bala and that is where most archaeologists believe and Egyptologists and everything and there's there's reliefs that they have found on tombs um, and some of the temples and so on that show um, these lakes and whatnot. They don't talk about the Hebrews. That is verboten. We are not talking about the Hebrews. And people say, well, you know, if they didn't talk about that, then that must mean it never happened. No, it's because they lost. And ancient leaders did not um tout. Oh, hey, you know, I just lost a million and a half slaves, plus yeah. half of an army, yeah. plus all the good chariots. What do you think of me now?
2: Yeah, no, you, you keep that. Uh... You, uh, you. If that was a YouTube channel, you'd ban it,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You only get to hear what we want you to hear, you and that's why get... ancient rulers were, you know. And that's why, uh, you so, know, the governor has a, uh, a press, a press uh, secretary. The president's got a press secretary. They want you to hear what that they want to get out. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's uh yeah. You can't, you can't post that. You'll get a flag on your account, which I, which I have. Which I'm still just kind of reeling my head around, but sure. But I have a grand plan. It's a a long con, but I think I think I can take it all down. Good, burn it to the ground, napalm. But yeah, so and then we're not we're not diving into uh, where he lets them go, and then uh, and then changes his mind
0: now for for the purposes of uh, what we're doing here um the a lot of the stuff that he we talked about with his father-in-law and i wanted to illustrate <clears throat> the point that all of this stuff that was going on was going on while there was other things going on in the world mm-hmm. and it wasn't like um the egyptians could hide this forever um and the reason being is because we saw you know, these caravans these merchants in and out, in and out, in and out. And then they would go back, hey, you know what's going on in Egypt? Hey, you know what's going on here? You know what's going on there? And it obviously would take months and months and months for the the word to get out. But once it did, um, Pharaoh, Amenhotep II had a problem because now other nations knew that you guys have been pushing us around for a long time and you're not quite as strong as you might think you are. Mm -hmm. And that's why, um, the our, um, archaeologists and historians believe that he actually went into southern Canaan as a way of showing, "Hey, I'm still in charge here, and I'm still capable of carrying out military missions." Mm-hmm. Even though it's just kind of grabbing a few slaves and some gold and silver and heading back.
2: Yeah, but, but it still it still implies that yeah, you know, yeah. It's like sending troops on a patrol a couple miles from the just to just show that there's someone there. Right. Just That's kinda exactly right. it's like when the uh it's like when the game warden or something drives on some backwoods road twice a year. Mm-hmm. Someone sees it and they're like, Okay, the warden's still alive. He might That's not right. be here ninety nine out of a hundred days. Yeah. It's just yeah. enough that you you stay in the back of their mind.
0: That's exactly just, correct. Just enough,
2: right? That's exactly correct. <laughs> well can we have we have three more minutes. Do you have any teasers?
0: Um, well, I, I think we talked about um, what we're going to look at next week. But I, I would encourage people if you, you know, if you're interested in reading this, read up on um, where uh, we're going to get up to the point where they're actually leaving Egypt, where they're the first stop, then the second stop, and so on. And once again, that's important because it shows the Bible is laying out the roadmap okay and the unfortunate thing is that there's people that have written books that says well you know i found a spoke from chariots uh Cheerios, uh pharaoh's chariot down here in the gulf of Aqaba. so that means that must be where they crossed which is insane that's that's over 200 miles away and you're telling me that once they left egypt that pharaoh's army could not catch them yeah. for 200 miles they're walking here you've got guys with chariots professional soldiers that's that's just it's one of those things that how do i sell this book well i can sell it because i'll keep trumpeting the the fact that this must be where it is and a lot of people have bought into that because they don't bother to read the biblical itinerary point yeah. a to b to point c and we know where they are because uh, they have been able to um you know they, they've gone back and they've looked at some of the uh hieroglyphics that talk about these various forts that Egypt had uh, on their eastern border to protect them from invasion from Canaan. They didn't want a repeat of the Hyksos 200 years earlier. So here we are with these forts and whatnot and um, archeologists and Egyptologists are able to pinpoint exactly where they are. This is where the Bible says they are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating study for geeks like me.
2: I'm excited I told Good. you I thoroughly enjoy these episodes I love I love having on people that are passionate about something and it's it's just it, it, it it's interesting to to see you tell this story and it's it's like a live it's like my own personal history course and I can just I'm the only student in the class and I can at any point raise my hand and have you answer anything it's very interesting and it's very it's enjoyable it's legitimately enjoyable
0: Well, I I appreciate that, and and once again, the whole purpose of this is to educate. Yeah, Uh, I know that there are a lot of people out there, and I've I've had actually comments from people that said that they they've learned so much about the behind the scenes, and for me, that's really what's fascinating. It's just all this behind the scenes stuff that takes place.
2: Yeah, it's it's there's yeah there's there's nothing, and like I said, I and I love learning, so it's just like I mean it's. You know, when people ask me, how do I get into certain topics on the podcast? It's, well, I just listen to whatever I'm interested in. So, you know, I might go deep into the Cold War for six months. And now, right now, I'm listening to lectures on, like, artificial intelligence coding. I've never coded in my life. I can barely type on a keyboard. I have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, truly no idea what they're talking about. But it's really smart guys who are really passionate about it. And so I just listen to it. I don't know what they're saying. But, like, I'm slowly kind of piecing together some very broad ideas. But the point is, is when someone's passionate about something, I mean, it's like watching a professional on a skill. You know, and like, YouTube, you can go find videos of, uh, you know, craftsmen creating uh, Damascus steel blades or even uh, people that, like, they form bricks. So it's, like, organic, like, As opposed to a machine, like they like literally sculpt bricks just for like little homes. But if you go watch anyone that's mastered something, like truly put in the 10,000 hours, it doesn't matter what it is because you see someone that's fine honed to that skill. And to me, that is so it's alluring it's almost like a black hole is it just starts pulling you towards it and you can't stop watching and that's what it's like having you on here you go in you start talking and you know more information about this in one pinky finger than i do in my brain and it's just interesting to see you go and i love it
0: what i find fascinating about this uh not just this topic is but when you get into uh any biblical topic Mm -hmm. um when i was in college i majored in history and my early my early major um focus was on the um, colonial period of american history i was fascinated by how all this came together well once i got out of college and you know substitute taught and so on and so forth i decided to take that biblical biblical knowledge that, that all of the uh learning that i had gained from college and put it into studying biblical areas and stuff And once again, it's when you're dealing with biblical or when you're dealing with uh, the colonial period and you get into that behind the scenes stuff. It makes so much more sense to you that now I can see why he was such an arrogant because I'm I'm God. Mm -hmm. I am God. And who is this thing that I can't see? I'm surrounded by all these gods. And it, it now makes much more sense and when we look at the itinerary of where they actually went it's everything's going to fall into place it corroborates the biblical narrative mm-hmm. and we have to start making stuff up um as far as the scripture goes and uh, and i'll tell you when we get to eventually do the trial of jesus oh my goodness i spent oh i can't tell you how many uh <laughs> i'll send you uh, the copy of what i wrote and um, i learned so much about the sanhedrin and the shenanigans of the uh caiaphas the high priest and his family and the, the uh, corruption when you read when you read and when we talk about the corruption of the high priest and the sanhedrin in the time of jesus it's going to make uh washington dc they're going to be envious
2: they look like boy scouts
0: yeah the corruption is just, and it, you know, real quickly, Tommy. Corruption has been with us since day one, mm-hmm. and it's going to be with us until til, Jesus returns. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Anytime you've got people that get can get money from somebody else, and they have no scruples, this is what they're going to do, and this is what we see. Fifty state capitals. Yeah. Yeah. You're it's, even enough money. Yeah. Where do I get? Money?
2: yeah I mean and that factoid it, it kinda it kind of gives me peace of mind because sometimes I get so caught up in it you know and it seems like you know militaries are marching and defense contractors are bloated and there's corruption and there's foreign espionage and then every once in a while like I kind of have to zoom out and whether it's fifty years ago, you know with like McCarthyism or whether it's we go back to ancient Egypt. And you see how rotted through it is from day one, it actually it actually has the opposite effect of like disillusionment. And to me, I'm like, oh, this thing this whole whole ride that is humanity, this has been like a unicycle juggling chainsaws on fire since day one. It's not this idea that like it's this, you know, it's this car that has recently lost a wheel and it's, oh, is it gonna crash? You start to realize this thing excuse my french this thing has been a shit show since day one and it's you go oh it's been a card castle from the beginning okay this might just it's not good but to me it alleviates some anxiety i'm like oh the guys have been turning 30 years old for the last five thousand years going the world's so messed up yeah yeah and then they go oh this is just kind of the world
0: you know, I, I would leave everybody with this, that mm-hmm. um, it, it's typically the the unintended consequences of these actions that, you know, these, these Egyptian soldiers, and for those people of my generation, um, just go back and do a quick uh, Google or Wikipedia search of the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That will, and I'm not going to go any more with that. And that will light your brain just, on just fire. go back to both of Tonkin, T-O-N-K-I-N, uh-huh. and read about that and how Lyndon Johnson fabricated this yep. entire thing. Yep. And it cost nearly 60,000 plus billion, 60,000 Americans are lives, plus billions of dollars One uh, point, for what?
2: Yeah, uh, 1.5 million Indo-Chinese lives. It's yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were
0: expendable
2: though. Yeah, right. Yeah, Lateral damage. Yeah, yeah, right. It's, but yeah, you find that you, know, you it really starts to destroy your brain. I mean, we never learn about it in school, right? But like the nineteen thirty three business plot, uh, the attempt to overthrow FDR, right? You start to learn some things. You start to learn that the head of CIA counterintelligence had a file opened on Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. in nineteen fifty nine four years before uh, you start to it really starts to it can yeah it can melt your brain you start mm-hmm. looking at it and you're like oh my god right
0: but, but this this once again is why it's the operating system but we stay focused on
2: god yep yeah you, you gotta find uh, the static you gotta find the light You gotta go all this right Not i'm i'm in yeah. the world not of the world you gotta yep. look at it as like this whole thing, you can't build your castle here. You can't you can't find your salvation on Earth. its You can do good. You can open a charity. You can raise a family. You can give back to your community. You're never going to create uh, a pure, uh, infallible yes. kingdom on Earth. It's just human nature that it's not meant to be. You're never going to create a city. If you want to build a permanent structure, you go and build a, a concrete bunker. You don't build a sandcastle on the, a foot from the shore right before hurricane season. It's like, it's just, you, you can't do it. You can build it every year. It's just going to go away. Mm-hmm. But before we dive off into the weeds, Ken, let's wrap this one up. Mr. Ken Moffat. And uh, yeah, well, I guess for everyone on YouTube, you won't see this for another week because the uh, our big tech overlords have deemed that... Um, they have deemed that we can't... Get, maybe maybe a plague will hit Silicon Valley. It'll be 10 plagues.
0: I used to live there, so... That's uh, disgusting. That's what I actually, actually like to call it, that's Silicon Valley. That's disgusting,
2: Ken. You better bathe in holy water.
0: Uh, well, I've... I've been <laughs> <I've, I've> <laughs> it'll, it'll all
2: It'll all come out in the wash. I truly do believe that. I think right now we are seeing a phase. It's a disgusting phase of censorship. I think we're seeing a phase. Yeah. I think it will... It's disgusting. No time in human history has censorship ever worked out for the better. It's always the precursor to mass murder. Every single time. Every single time. But, um, I am confident that, uh, that we'll get through this. I think we are. I think we have to. Yep. Let's wrap this one up, though. Mr. Ken Moffat. thank you so much. Exodus Volume 4. Next week, coming back with Exodus Volume 5 with Professor Moffat.
0: Hey Tommy.
2: (laughs) All right, my man. I'll text you when it's up. All right. Marty. Bye bye. All right, man. Take care. Bye bye.